Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Staking a Claim on the Past. First, our scripture reading, followed by an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. I cry out to God for help. I cry out to God to, to hear me. When I'm in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out my untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remember you, God, and I moaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I'm t I was too troubled to speak. My thoughts about of former days in years long ago. I remember my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirits asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he, in anger, withdrew his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the Most High stretches, stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who perform miracles and display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God, and the water saw you and withered. And very depths were conversed. The clouds poured out, poured down water. The heavens resound the thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led to the sea your ways through the mighty waters, though your footprints weren't seen. You led your people and like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Thank you, Robert, for reading today's scripture. You know, I read about a Jewish woman whose uh, family had to go in, into hiding from the Nazis. And just before her father moved the family into a small windowless cellar, he drew his daughter to his side. He said, we may have to go into hiding for a long time. We have to figure out a way to remember how beautiful this world really is. And so he pretended to take an object down from the shelf and he said, let's make a memory bottle and we will put into it all that we find beautiful and attractive about this world. And the little girl's father had her walk barefoot through the cool grass. Uh, together they breathed in the smell of different kinds of flowers and then closed their eyes to try to remember what those different flowers smelled like. 
They concentrated on the color of the sky and the feel of the breeze. And then the father said, now we're going to store it all away. And he mimed corking a bottle. They stayed in the basement a long time. And whenever the little girl felt despondent, her father said, pull out a memory from your bottle. And she said later on, sometimes I'd take out a patch of blue sky, sometimes the scent of a rose, and always I felt better. Even after we came out of hiding, I used my memory bottle to sustain me through the dark moments. Now in Psalm 77, a man named Asaph uncorked his memory bottle and he pulled out something to remember. Do you know how often the Bible tells us to remember? The central uh, ceremony of the Old Testament and the central ceremony of the New Testament are both calls to remember. The Old Testament people of God were called on to observe Passover every year and remember the time that God rescued them from Egyptian slavery. And then in the New Testament, the central uh, uh, ceremony that we have is the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a call to remember what God has done for us through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Jesus said when he established the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. And so remembering is an act of obedience. But we see in this passage that Robert read to us that remembering is also an act of deliverance. I said that this man's name was Asaph. Uh, He was appointed by King David to lead the worship at the temple, not just once a week, but every single day. 11 of the Psalms in the book of Psalms were composed by Asaph, including this one we're looking at today, Psalm 77. That famous preacher G. Campbell Morgan said this one time, he said, what we do in the crisis always depends whether we see the difficulties in the light of God or we see God in the shadow of our difficulties. Now, uh, G. Campbell Morgan was not preaching on this psalm when he said that famous line, that now famous line, but he could have been because through the first half of Psalm 77, through the first nine verses, Asaph confesses what it was like when he saw God in the shadow of his difficulties. But in the second half of the psalm, verses 10 through 20, He talks with relief about what it was like to see his difficulties in the light of God's presence. And so there are actually a couple of things that you and I need to do, according to the guidance of Asaph, there are a couple of things that you and I need to do when we're facing our own tough times. You can find your sermon notes inside your bulletin, and let's write these two points down as we come to them. First of all, admit what happens when you see God in the shadow of your hardships. The first nine verses of Psalm 77, Asaph is admitting what happened to him when he saw God in the shadow of his hardships. So in verses one through nine, he describes his troubles in terms of the physical symptoms and the emotional symptoms, and most importantly, the spiritual symptoms that he endured when he was seeing God in the shadow of his hardships. So first of all, look at these physical symptoms of the poet's troubled times. He couldn't sleep and he couldn't get his mind off his problems. You know, it's interesting that the poet doesn't describe what was going on during his days, but what was going on during his nights. And isn't that true when we've got worries and burdens and concerns? They don't trouble us so much during the day, or at least we're not as conscious of them, because we've got work to do, we've got school to do, we've got kids to raise, we've got all these responsibilities that in one blessed way distract us from the things that we're burdened about. It's in the night, 
just as Asaph wrote about here in the first nine verses. It's in the night when those things keep us awake. We find ourselves pacing the house, or we lie in bed with our eyes wide open looking at the ceiling as we rewind and replay and rewind and replay the frustrations that we're going through at the time. That's the way Asaph is describing his physical symptoms here. Now notice the emotional symptoms, though, that he describes here. He reveals this deep frustration and even depression. I mean, look at these phrases that we find in the first nine verses. I cried out. I groaned. I mused and my spirit grew faint. I was too troubled to speak. These are words from a man who was describing a deep emotional frustration. And then he describes the spiritual symptoms of the frustrations he was going through. And as, as troublesome as it is for us to deal with uh, the physical symptoms and the, and the emotional symptoms, it's the spiritual symptoms that disturb us mo- uh, bo- uh, most. I think what we are disturbed about more than anything else is when we're going through hardships, when we're going through difficulty, is that maybe those secular professors who said that we're just here by chance and happenstance may have been right after all. We, we begin to think that way. Or if we believe that there is a God who exists, he's just not all that interested or involved in the situations that we're facing. That's the sus- suspicion that we sometimes deal with. Believers sometimes deal with those types of thoughts. Ministers sometimes deal with those types of thoughts. Asaph was a minister. As I mentioned earlier, he was the David's appointed music minister for the temple worship. And yet, did you notice in verses 7 through 9, his voice becomes tight and shrill with frustration. His physical exhaustion and his emotional turmoil and his spiritual resentment all combine into this crescendo of questions. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? But then he stops. He stops in mid-tirade. And he says this in verse 10. Then I thought... Now that reveals a turnaround in thinking at this point, right? Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. There's a change there. And, and, and that means that there's something else he wants to say to us. He's, he's not just telling us to admit what happens to us physically and emotionally and spiritually when we see God in the shadow of our difficulties. He also wants us to know this. So write the second point down. Find out what happens when you see your hardship in the light of God. So admit what happens to you physically and emotionally and spiritually when you're seeing God in the shadow of your hardships, but also find out what it's like. Find out what life can be like when you see your problems in the light of God's presence. In the first nine verses, he admits what um, all this resentment and frustration and faithless, increasing faithlessness was doing to him. But then he reverses himself. And in verses 10 through 20, he says, here's what happened when I decided to focus on God's presence. Now, I like how he puts it in verse 10. I quoted it to you already. Then I thought to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his hand. You know, when a court makes a decision... Uh, and and makes a decision against somebody, sometimes that person can appeal to a higher court. And and that's the image that's going on here in verse 10. This man is losing. He's not losing a court case, but he's losing his faith. And so he appeals to a higher court. He appeals to the right hand of the Most High God. 
Now, what does that mean, to appeal to the right hand of the Most High God? Well, with all due respect to you left-handed people in the room, um, the Middle Eastern culture that the Bible came out of regarded the right hand as the hand of power. The right hand was the hand of competence. And so when this poet, using the, the cultural imagery of that time, said, I'm appealing to the right hand of the Most High God, he was appealing to, he was remembering back to the time when God's competent, powerful right hand showed up in his life and rescued him from his difficulties. You know, if you uh, have ever visited or lived in the west, uh, nor northwestern part of the United States, maybe you've gone to one of those national parks where those giant redwood or sequoia trees are, or many of those uh, trees are in a forest, and, and maybe uh, you've had a park ranger point out a, a cross-section of one of those trees that has fallen. And maybe she points out the growth rings that are on that tree. And because of her skill and because of her knowledge, she can look at the thickness or the condition of certain growth rings and she can say, now, it was this year that this tree experienced a severe drought in the area. And it was this year, as she points to another growth ring, that there was a forest fire that threatened to bring this tree down. And in this year, according to this growth ring, you can see that there was flourishing and health and a good year. And in this year, and she'll go on year after year after year pointing to these growth rings, pointing out the autobiography of that tree and the rings that were within it. When was the last time you investigated the growth rings of your life. You can look back over your life and remember a time when somebody hired you when nobody seemed to be hiring. You can look back at a time when money unexpectedly showed up when you didn't know how you were going to pay the bills. You can look back at a time when God came through for you with healing, when everything look so dark and dire. Those are the growth rings of your life and you can point to those things and see how the right hand of the Most High God was at work in your life in those instances. And, 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 and that's what we need to do. We need to be able to look back at all those times that God has been at work in our life. And so when we're bitter and when we're frustrated and disappointed at what's going on right now, we can look back and see when God was working in our life and regain hope and regain confidence once again. You see, it's not just memory alone that saves us. I mean, I'm saying that in the second half of this psalm, this man decided to remember and uh, he regained his faith again. But he was remembering in the first half of this psalm too. I mean, look, look at verse uh, 3 of Psalm 77. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. <laughs> so what was the difference? I mean, in the first nine verses, he remembered and it made him bitter. And in the second half of the psalm, he remembered it and it made him better. What was the difference between remembering in the first half and remembering in the second half? Here was the difference. In the first half of the psalm, he was remembering the good old days. He was remembering when it all used to work, when it all used to roll out smoothly, when everything was going his way, and he wished for that kind of life once again. But in the second half of the psalm, he wasn't just remembering the good old days, he was remembering the bad old days and how God saw him through them. And that's what made all the difference. It's not just memory, it's remembering what God did for you in crisis times in the past that will help you maintain your faith in crisis times in the present. And that's what he says then in verses 11 and 12, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. You see him almost talking to himself here? 
demanding that he listen to himself. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. But you notice though in this Psalm that he reaches back even further than the experiences of his own life. He looks back over what God has done for him in the past, but he looks even further back to what God did for his ancestors in the past. I mean, really, when you're reading through verses 13 through 20, what are you reading about? You're reading about the Exodus. Now, I told you that Asaph was the man that wrote this. He would have written this in the days of David or shortly after David. So it had been centuries since the, peop since the people had been led by Moses uh, out of Egyptian slavery toward a promised land. Uh, but he, he, he was still remembering that as if it was his own history because it, it was his own history. It was the history of his people that he was a part of. And, and so he looks back over that time of the great exodus and all this imagery from verses 13 through 20 are all about that. Uh, you remember the this, this story of the, ex uh, the exodus you know, at, at one point? Uh, Moses has led his people out of Egypt and they get to the, 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 the shore of the Red Sea. And then they discover that Pharaoh has changed his mind. He had let the people go, but then he changed his mind and now he was coming after them with his army. And so behind them was Pharaoh's army. In front of them was this wide and deep sea. And then the right hand of the Most High God showed up. God said, Moses, you tell the people to follow you, you follow me. And he parted the waters and the people walked through on dry ground with this wall of water on each side of them. And then when the uh, Pharaoh and his Egyptian army tried to do the same thing and ride between that wall of water, what happened? The walls of water collapsed and the enemy army was drowned by the right hand of the Most High God. So reading this poem of Asaph, He's looking back, not just at what God did for him in the past and his, his own crisis times. He looked back even further than that at what God had done with the people that Asaph had, uh, was now a part of. And he celebrated that. You know, reading this poem of, of, of Asaph, especially the ending, makes me think of another poet, somebody who's a little closer to uh, our own years. You probably don't know or remember the name Margaret Rose Powers, but more than likely, you know her poem. You may even have a copy of this poem up on your refrigerator or up on a plaque in your apartment or your house. Margaret was 20 years old and she was recovering from meningitis on the family farm in Tilston, Ontario, Tilstonburg, Ontario. And she was confined to bed most of the summer because of that. And she felt so alone. Uh, her, her friends weren't, you know, intentionally staying away from her. They just had other things to do. And here she was confined to home. And she wrote in her journal, I've never felt so empty and afraid. Now, an unusual chain of events took place. Her brother invited her out for dinner in hopes of cheering her up toward the end of the summer. And there, uh, one of her brother's friends, a man named Paul, uh, uh, invited himself to sit at the table with the two of them. And then he invited her out on a date. And then several dates, several months later, he asked her to marry him. And she wrote in her journal later on the experience of walking on the shores of Lake Erie with her fiance, Paul. She wrote, the waves hissed into bubbles at our feet. Paul stopped suddenly and pointed back at our tracks in the sand. See our footprints, Margie? On the day we marry, they will become like one set, not two. And that line stuck with her. And that night, 
She was thinking back over how miserable life had been 10, 12 months earlier, the early, early part of that, that summer past when God seemed to be nowhere around. And she thought about this line from her fiance and she said it was like a dream had come to her. She wrote later on around this po- about this poem, I saw a story unfolding in my mind's eye. My pen took over and I began writing it out. I saw myself walking along a beach with the Lord and scenes from my life flashed before me. But during the most painful scenes, I noticed only one set of footprints was left in the sand. I asked the Lord where he had been when I needed him most. And then I wrote down his reply. My precious child, I love you and will never leave you. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. And that's the story behind that famous poem, Footprints. Do you notice in verse 19 in our psalm today, as this poem is wrapping up, he said, Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. Can you identify? In the thick of troubled times, God's footprints are not always seen. But that doesn't mean the right hand of the Most High God isn't at work consoling you, comforting you, leading you, caring for you, and meeting your greatest need. So Psalm 77 shows us what happens when we are looking at God in the shadow of our difficulties And it shows us what happens when we decide to look at our difficulties in the light of God's presence. And if Asaph had every reason to look back and build his faith on God's great Old Testament rescue, the Exodus, we have even more reason to do so as New Testament people. Because the New Testament says that the Exodus was just a type. It was just a a foreshadowing of a much greater rescue that was coming. Don't you understand that the New Testament looks upon the cross of Christ as a new exodus for God's people? Because of the work of Jesus who died on the cross in our place, he has rescued us from sin's bondage and sin's consequences. And he has throughout our life taken us on an exodus to his promised land of his glorious kingdom. In tough times then, we don't just look back on the good old days and wish and pine for the way things used to be. We don't even just look back at the bad old days and how God came through for us, although that's a good thing to do. We need to do even more than that. We need to look back to that great exodus that God accomplished for us when he, di- when he sent his son to die on the cross to take away our sin so that we might be rescued out of sin's bondage and brought into the great promised land of his kingdom. That's what the, the Apostle Paul told us to do. Told us to do. And in Romans chapter 8, a great uh, New Testament passage, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul wrote, He who did not spare his own son, but gave gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see what Paul was doing? He was moving from the greater to the lesser. He was moving to the greatest need we've ever had. And he showed how God met that need in the work of the cross. The greatest need we've ever had is to be rescued from sin and sin's consequences. And Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, God took care of that great need. So don't you think that God can take care of any lesser need that you're experiencing and dealing with now? You see what Paul was doing? He was doing the same thing that Asaph was doing in Psalm 77. He was encouraging us and calling on us to look back, not just at the good old days, not even just at our own bad old days where God came through for us, but way back to the great exodus, the great New Testament exodus. 
And if we will, if we will do that, we will find ourselves growing more and more in the faith that we claim to have. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, I pray for two groups of people today. I pray for those who need to place their faith in you. And I pray for those who need to keep their faith in you. Help us to place our faith in you to save us from our sins. I pray that, Lord, for those in this room and those listening online who've never taken that step before. They've studied about Jesus. They've looked in the stories of Jesus. They've thought about Jesus, but they've never committed themselves to Jesus. Help them to place their faith in you to save us from our sins. And help us all who believe in you to keep our faith now that we have it, to keep our faith in you, not just to save us from our sins, but also to save us from our miseries, our frustrations, our heartbreaks. We might have times, Lord, when we forget our keys. We might have times when we forget a birthday. We might reach a time when we struggle to remember a name. But help us never forget what you have done for us in Jesus. And help us to trust that a God who loves us to the point of sacrificing to save us will be the same God who will never abandon those he's bought with a great price. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, Someday My Prince Will Come. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.